We'll pray first. Lord, as we open our Bibles now, we just pray that you give us a deeper understanding of who you are and who you are in our lives. We love you, Lord, and we want to draw ever closer to you. So in the story of your encounter with Peter, help us to learn how you are to us in our daily lives, too. So thank you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Matthew chapter 26, this whole incident started off with a boast by Peter. And as I said, he was a very boastful person. And this is what he said, Matthew 26, beginning in verse 31. This is just prior to Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. Jesus told them, this very night, you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, and he quotes an Old Testament prophecy here, I will strike the shepherd, who would be Jesus, and the sheep of the flock, his disciples, will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now I'll ask you to take note of that. This is before Jesus was even arrested or crucified or died or rose back from the dead. He tells the apostles, I'm, we're going to have a date together in Galilee. Take note of that. Verse 33, Peter replied, now here's his boast, even if all these disciples around me, even if all of these people fall away on account of you, I never will. So that's a pretty bold statement to make. Now, Peter felt this way. He felt that he was better than anybody else. He felt that he had more faith in, in, than anybody else. And what he's doing is he's putting down everybody else to make himself look big. Even if all of these losers here fall away from you, I, Lord, I never will. I'll tell you what, there's something about making comments like that that God hears. Now, Jesus was standing right there to hear it. But I tell you, in this day and age, in our Christian lives, I've learned lessons over the years where I have made statements and the Lord made me eat my words. He has a way of doing that. You know, God has a sense of humor. And uh, sometimes when we make boastful statements like this, he's in heaven thinking, okay, that, if that's the way you really feel, we'll see. We'll see. And, you know, God has the ability to put you into a situation to prove you and to test you. And a lot of times we end up failing. We end up eating our words because we don't live up to our boasts. And we shouldn't be making boasts in the first place. Amen. So after Peter makes this boast, verse 34, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, this very night... Before the rooster crows, you, Peter, will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples did the same. So first lesson we learn, be careful of your boasting, because God hears and may put you to the test, and that's what he's going to do with Peter. Let's turn now to John chapter 18. John chapter 18 and verse 15. <clears throat> so sure enough, Jesus has been arrested. He is taken to the Jewish 
Sanhedrin, the high court. He's being tried there. And as this is going on, you know, here is Jesus before the court standing for the truth. They're trying to find reasons to accuse him, to put him to death. And the only thing that they're going to be able to find on him, because he didn't do anything wrong, was a statement that he made saying, if you destroy this temple, I'll raise it up again in, in three days. And he was referring to his body. He said, if you kill me, I'm going to come back to life again in three days. And somebody said, well, he's talking about destroying the temple building. So we've got to put him to death for that. We can't let him do that. That was the only evidence that they found of any kind. But while this is going on in the courtroom, notice verse 15. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You are not one of his disciples, are you? The girl at the door asked Peter. He replied, I am not. So he denies knowing Jesus. He denies being a follower of Jesus because he thought his life was on the line. He thought he would be arrested too and punished or, or whatever the case may be. Verse 18, it was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Now take note of that as well. I told you to, to take note of Jesus' meeting with the disciples that would take place in Galilee. Take note of this fire. When, when Peter is denying Jesus, he's sitting by a fire trying to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them warming himself. So it talks about what was going on with Jesus and the high priest there. But notice verse 25. As Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, You are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow. So Peter ate his words. He boasted about being this great disciple who would never deny Jesus. And... Before the rooster crowed, he denied him three times. Okay, after Jesus was crucified, after he was buried and then resurrected from the dead, he knows that there's coming a time where this awkward matter of how Jesus was going to deal with Peter's sin, how he denied that he was a follower of Jesus. Now, when we see how this happens... We're going to get some insight as to how Jesus deals with us whenever we deny him. And you know what? We do deny Jesus from time to time. How, how do we deny him? Well, we don't obey his commands. That's a, a form of denying Jesus. If we don't keep him as number one in our lives, sometimes that happens to us. And that's a way of denying Jesus. You know, sometimes if the subject comes up and, and so somebody's talking about religion or the Bible and we deny Jesus just by being silent. We don't admit that we're a Christian or we don't want to get involved in an argument about the Bible because we don't remember all that many scriptures. And that's a, a way of denying Jesus. But you know what? Then Jesus deals with us in a similar way, too. 
So let's turn to John chapter 21. Now don't forget that before Jesus' death, he had made an appointment with the disciples saying, okay, after this all happens, crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, I want to meet with you guys in Galilee. He had given instructions to the disciples to meet up with him after his resurrection by the Sea of Galilee. And that's a long journey. It's about 70 miles north of Jerusalem. So why would Jesus make this appointment with the disciples to meet with him 70 miles away? Well, Jesus was going to restore Peter at the very same place that Peter was originally called to be a disciple in his hometown of Galilee. So Jesus wanted to make it easy for Peter to be forgiven, to feel acceptance by Jesus. And Jesus planned this all out in advance. And he was literally going to take Peter back to the place where he was originally called to be a disciple, the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was going to restore Peter at the very same place he was originally called. Let's read on here in John chapter 21. It says, afterwards, this is after Jesus' resurrection from the dead, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, also known as the Sea of Galilee. It's one of the other names for it. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, who was called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the son of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. So they're hanging around there. They know that eventually they're going to meet up with Jesus. He hasn't arrived yet. So Peter says, you know, this is my hometown. I used to fish here a lot. I'm going to go fish. This doesn't mean he was giving up, you know, being a disciple. He just had time on his hands and he thought he'd go out to fish. Simon Peter told them and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. So reading on in verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, this is a miracle that takes place. And what Jesus did is he restaged the whole episode of when Peter was first called. Hold your place there and turn back with me to Luke chapter 5. When Jesus first started to call his disciples, he was calling Peter, and this exact same thing happened. Luke 5 verse 1, so this goes back three and a half years now. To when Jesus started his ministry and began to select his apostles. It says, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, another name for the Sea of Galilee, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, this is Peter, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. 
When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the son of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So imagine Jesus' thoughtfulness. Okay, he knows how rough it had to be for Peter to face him after Peter had just denied him three times. Jesus was going to make it easy for him. What did he do before this confrontation took place? He made plans to meet the disciples in the same location. And he provided the same kind of miracle that Peter had experienced when he was first called. So Jesus was trying to put Peter at ease. He was trying to show Peter that you have not been rejected by me. I'm forgiving you for what you did, for denying me three times. And I'm, I'm going out of my way to show you that I, I want to put you in a comfortable position, a comfortable environment, your hometown. Here's a miracle just like what happened when you were first called. Let's go back to John 21 now, verse 7. <clears throat> so they catch this large catch of fish again. Verse 7, then the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, the author of this gospel, said to Peter, well, the guy on the shore, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, were about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. So Jesus is cooking up a fish fry for them. <laughs> Why would Jesus do this? Well, don't forget, when Peter denied Jesus, he was cowering at a, at a fire, trying to keep warm. So here Jesus is providing the same situation again. Now Peter is at, at a fire, but he's going to be forgiven by Jesus. He's going to be restored by Jesus. The thoughtfulness of Jesus is just amazing. And what he planned and what he caused to happen just to put Peter in, a, in an environment where he felt comfortable, that it was okay. That the Lord wasn't mad at him. The Lord wasn't against him. He was forgiven and he was going to be accepted again. Verse 10. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's continue on. Verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? More than these other disciples love me. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. 
Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So what's the meaning of this episode? Jesus asking a question three times. Well, Peter had denied him three times. So Jesus asks him three times. He, now notice he doesn't say, now Peter, why did you deny me? Now that's what the human question would have been. <laughs> human nature, that's what we would have asked Peter had we been Jesus. Why did you deny me? Come up with an answer. Come on. I'm waiting here. Jesus didn't do that. He asked if he loved him. Now notice too, three times Jesus calls Peter, Simon the son of John, instead of calling him Cephas, the nickname that Jesus had given him, which means the rock. Now the reason he didn't use that name, the nickname, because Jesus didn't want to rub it in by calling him the name that he didn't live up to. You know, Jesus called him the rock. He said, Peter, you're a, a chief apostle. I'm going to call you Rocky. But during the time that he denied Jesus, he wasn't living up to being the rock, was he? He was more like a, a reed being blown by a strong wind or, or like shifting sand. So Jesus didn't want to rub, him, rub it in. That's why he called him Simon, the son of John. And as I said, he didn't ask him, Peter, are you sorry for what you did? <laughs> That's what we would ask somebody who did something against us. You know, before I forgive you, I want to know if you're really sorry. And give me an explanation as to why you did that to me anyway. Je Jesus didn't ask anything of the kind. Jesus didn't refer to the past. Why did you do that to me? He only referred to the present. Do you love me? And you know what? Jesus, when he deals with us in our sins, you know, we normally realize what we've done wrong. And we know that we've gone against the Lord's commands. And we're to have a repentant attitude. And we're to come to, to God and to say, Lord, I really screwed up this time. I don't understand totally why I did it, but I did it, and I'm sorry. Jesus doesn't demand an explanation, and he doesn't demand, you know, us to give an explanation for our actions. He didn't ask Peter about his words or his deeds. He only asked about the attitude of his heart. And that's how we're judged. God judges us by our heart. He sees the things that we do wrong. He knows them. He's well aware of them. But I think what this is showing here is that the most fundamental thing about an authentic Christian, and that's what we all need to be, it's not words or deeds, but it's the attitude of the heart, whether we love God. When you come right down to it, that's what our judgment is based on, whether we love God. We either love God or we don't love him. So that's what Jesus was searching for when he talked to Peter. Loving God. Hold your place there and turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. 
We recognize this chapter as a, an epistle to several different churches at the time of the writing of the book of Revelation. <clears throat> and one of the churches that is written to here is the church at Ephesus. This is Revelation 2, beginning in verse 1. It says here, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, he says to this church, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. That sounds like a great church, doesn't it? It sounds like a group of people who are really dedicated to, to doing the church thing and standing up for right and wrong. But notice what he says in verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. You're going through the motions as a, as a church. You're doing all the right things. But deep down inside, you don't love God. And you don't live your life like you truly love God. And like I said, that seems to be the way God judges. He says, remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. You've lost your love for God. Love for the Lord is the most important thing because it is the attitude of those who have been forgiven. That's a key. Loving God is the attitude of people who have been forgiven. Now, people who don't feel that they're real sinners and don't feel that they don't have anything to repent of, they're not going to have a love for God because they haven't felt God's forgiveness for them. There's a story here I'd like to turn to in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. And like I said, when we read through this story, think about yourself. How do you feel about God? You know, there was a time in my Christian life when if somebody would get up and give a sermon about loving God, I'd feel all uncomfortable. <laughs> talk to me about something else. Talk to me about King David and, and, and uh, talk about how uh, David killed Goliath and talk about... Uh, you know, being swallowed by the whale, Jonah in the whale. That's the kind of stories I want to hear. You talk to me about loving the Lord, and I'm feeling uncomfortable about that. But you know what? I've changed over the years, and now I realize that loving the Lord is the most important thing. And we should never feel uncomfortable with that. In fact, we should be growing in our love for the Lord on a regular basis. That's what it's all about. Jesus tells this story in Luke 7, beginning in verse 36. It says, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him 
saw this, he said to himself, if this man, Jesus, were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, so he knew what, she, what he was thinking, and this Pharisee's name happened to be Simon. I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. Jesus says, you have judged correctly. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, a welcome greeting, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You, Simon, did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Now what's the lesson you get from that story? Well, here's Jesus at the house dealing with two people. The one man, Simon, the host of the party, is a Pharisee. So for most of his life, he's kept laws rigidly. You know, he's been an outstanding member of society, a leading man in the Jewish faith. But he doesn't seem to be concerned about anything that he may have done wrong in his life. Now, here's a woman, on the other hand, who not only knows that she's a sinner, but it seems like the whole community knows that she's a sinner. And she comes in humbly and does nothing but show her love to Jesus in a real serving attitude. Can you imagine, you know, the tears coming out of her eyes so much that she's able to use those tears to wet his feet and to wipe his feet with her, her own hair? It's kind of a humiliating thing to do. And I'm sure all of the people at the party there were just aghast at what this woman was doing. Not only who she was, but how she was showing love and servitude to Jesus. And the way Jesus explains it to, to the man, you know, this woman is doing all this stuff for me, showing me love. You haven't showed me anything, Simon. <laughs> because Simon didn't seem to be a person who was at all aware of any sins that he may have committed. Now, Scripture tells us that we're all sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So, if you're going to be the kind of person who truly loves God, you're, the, you're going to be the kind of person who is aware of their sins. Amen. And we have been called as Christians to be aware of our sins. Now, sure, we're in the process of being changed and transformed from our old self into the likeness of Jesus Christ. But we always know that we're sinners. 
And we still stumble and fall from time to time. And we're going to sin. What we need to be aware of is that we are sinners, that we need a Savior, and we have one in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who has forgiven our sins by his death on the cross. And we love him chiefly because of what he has done for us. How he has wiped away our sins by his passion and death, painful death on the cross. We love him so much for doing that, that we just want to show our love to him on a regular basis. That's one of the reasons why we're here today, why we gather on a regular basis. To show him that we love him, to show him that he's the focus of our lives now. That without him, we would be lost, we would be doomed to the wrath of God. But he took upon himself that wrath that was owed us because of our sins. And he has given us eternal life instead. So, I think in years past, my earlier years in the church, and some of you have been around here longer than I have, I don't know why we felt odd or uncomfortable talking about loving God and loving Jesus, that we really didn't come to terms with our sins. And we didn't know Jesus. We heard of him and we read about him, but we didn't truly know him and get into a relationship with him. And now that we have, we know where our love needs to be directed, first and foremost. It's to him. And we try to love him with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our being, and then love our neighbor as ourselves. But the lesson that Jesus teaches here is if you have many sins that have been forgiven, you love the Lord much. If you have few sins, now you do have sins, you're just not aware of them, and you're trying to to blot them out of your mind, and you're trying to make yourself look good by making other people look worse than you. Just like Peter said when he said, uh, Lord, all of these others can forsake you, but I'll never forsake you. Peter built himself up by putting everybody else down. And that's what we, we still do in our lives today. We want to put the spotlight on ourselves and make ourselves something that we're truly not. So we need to be aware of our sins all the time. Not to the point of depression, but it makes us think about Jesus that much more and all that he saved us from. The scripture is telling us here that there's no love like the love of forgiven sinners. There's no love like the love of forgiven sinners, and that's what we all are. So we have no reason not to love the Lord. In God's evaluation, the love of sinners who know that they have been forgiven is more precious in the sight of God than the self-righteousness of those who think they need no forgiveness. And that's what Simon the Pharisee was demonstrating and exhibiting in his life. So notice, first of all, all of the trouble Jesus went through to set up this gathering at the Sea of Galilee for the whole purpose of restoring Peter, of making it easy for him to confront the Lord once again after he had denied him three times. He took him to his own hometown. He provided a miracle of this big catching of fish, just like what happened when Peter was originally called. He even sat with Peter by a fire where Peter had, just several days ago, denied him. 
but now at the fire that they're sitting at cooking fish, Jesus gives him the opportunity. And he doesn't focus on the sins of the past. He focuses on whether Peter truly loves him or not. And Peter said, yes, I do. And Jesus answered with, okay, feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. He was restoring Peter to the ministry, to discipleship. And the instruction he gave him was, take care of my sheep. And when Peter said here in uh, John 21, verse 17, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. By that point, Peter had known that he was forgiven by Jesus. He was not only restored to a relationship with God, but he was restored to ministry. And the lesson here is that one of the best ways to show our love for Jesus is to minister to the people of, of Christ. He says, feed my lamb, feed my sheep. So how do we show our love to, to God? By doing what we can to feed his lambs, to take care of his sheep. So whenever we have the opportunity to serve one another as Christians, we should do it. Because when we're serving one another, we're serving the Lord by serving his lambs. Now we have people every week who bring in food for his lambs, and, and we appreciate that. You're, you're feeding his sheep, you're feeding his lambs. But there are other ways of doing that too. Being aware of the needs of other people in the church, praying for them, not just at church, but taking those prayers home and praying during the week for them. Serving where you can. If somebody in the church needs a ride someplace, provide that ride. If somebody's hurting financially, you might want to slip them a little bit of money and say, hey, hopefully this will help. Buy some groceries or buy some gas with this. Feeding his sheep, caring for his sheep. That's what Jesus said to instruct Peter what he needs to be doing since he loves the Lord so much. So I don't know about you, but I was reading through this section here leading up to, to Jesus' death, and I came upon this story of Jesus reinstating Peter after Peter had denied him. And it just struck me how lovingly Jesus reinstates us when we sin. He doesn't hold our sin over our head. He doesn't threaten us. He doesn't demand a, a reason why we did what we did. We're all like Peter. We have all denied Jesus to one degree or another. And the question is, do you love Jesus? Do you remember how much he has forgiven you and continues to forgive you? Because you are forgiven much, do you love much? How lovingly should we reinstate sinners who have hurt us? So we see how easily it is for Jesus to accept us back and to forgive us. What about somebody who does something against you? Could you follow Jesus' example and make, the, make it easy for them to be forgiven by you? Or do you still hold grudges against people? Or give people the silent treatment when you feel that they've hurt you? How lovingly should we reinstate sinners who have hurt us? Well, Jesus, Jesus is our example. And sometimes it's a tux, tough example to, to follow, but follow we must. So what a wonderful Lord we have. And uh, like I said, we love him and we're not af afraid to express our love for him because he has forgiven us much and continues to forgive us much. So uh, Jesus and Peter, and a lesson for all of us today.